Okay. So as I said, go ahead and be turning to Philippians chapter number four. And we're going to read it immediately here. We're going to get to it in just a moment. But I, I said last week that uh, we had finished up our study that we'd been on as we were looking at uh, Jesus B.C., Jesus in the Old Testament, and looking at uh, salvation in the times before the cross. And we saw through that that uh, salvation has always been by grace through faith, and that uh, even all of the passages that tell us that... Uh, uh, such as Abraham believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so all those different passages let us know that man never has been saved by their works. There's never been a time that God has given them a standard and said, achieve this, uh, you have to accomplish this in order to be saved. It's always been, I've accomplished it all. It's up for you to believe what I've done. And so we've seen that from the very beginning. And the reason I say that again is that uh, uh, before we got started, I, I said that we've got a completely different crowd tonight than what we had last week. So that lets you know kind of where we're at. We wrapped up that study. And last week, we uh, uh, didn't really start a new study just yet. We're uh, Philippians 4. But anyway, we didn't really start a new study just yet. We're just kind of uh, in between studies. And I'm uh, doing a couple uh, just different topics that have been on my mind. And uh, so last week, we were looking at our motives to service. No problem. And so we are looking at our motive to service as a Christian because as a Christian, we know that we are called to do the things that are pleasing to God, to serve Him, to be a witness, to be a light. We know that there are things that being a Christian entails. Even, even a lost person knows this, right? Even a lost person knows what a Christian should do and how a Christian should act, right? And so anyway, with all of that, what is our motive behind it? What is keeping us doing it or causing us to do these things? And we looked at five different things last week. We'll just go over a short review because it's going to kind of funnel us into our study for tonight. But last week we saw that some people are motivated out of guilt or out of debt. They see it as uh, I owe God something because of what he's done for me. Right. He saved me, he forgave me, and now I've got to spend the rest of my life trying to repay him for what he's done. And we saw that the reason why that is a bad motivation is because, uh, for one, it cheapens salvation. Salvation is a free gift. If you have to work for it, then it is no longer a free gift, and you're starting to uh, once again, lean toward a works-based system of salvation. Now, if you're already saved, it's a different story, but you have a, a poor motive behind it. It cheapens salvation, and it's going to end up being unsustainable because in the end, if you think that I owe God, I owe God, I owe God, it's going to have you having more of a master and slave relationship. It's going to cause you uh, probably in the end a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of resentment toward God because you're going to see him as overbearing or you're going to see him as a master, a taskmaster over you. And none of us like to be a slave or a servant. And we find that it's very plain that there is liberty in Christ, that we are no longer in bondage. And uh, so this idea of it being out of guilt or out of duty or out of debt is a poor uh, motivator. But some people are moved by that. Another one we saw is some people are motivated by greed. What can I get out of God? I'm going to do this so God does this. And we treat God almost like a vending machine or an ATM. And so it's like, okay, if I put in this, I will get this. I'm going to put money in the offering plate, and God's going to make my paycheck pattern. I'm going to attend church, and God's going to make my week go better. I'm going to do this, God's going to do this. And it's very transactional with God and that is not the way that God works. Serving God does have blessings, but we don't serve God for the blessings. Okay? And the problem with serving God out of greed, out of what we can get from Him, what ends up happening is there will be some time that your expectations aren't met. And you're going to get mad at God. You're going to get upset at God and say, after all I've done, how could you let this happen? And just saying that sounds dumb, doesn't it? Because after all he's done, why should we expect anything? If all he did was save our souls, it's more than what we deserve. 
And so for us to start having this expectation that just because we've done uh, some little service down here on this earth, that somehow it merits our uh, our ease of life and a lifelong blessings, that's, that's really a messed up way of looking at it. And so you're just seeing God as your concierge. You're seeing him as your genie. You're seeing him as just there to meet your needs. And so he is there to serve you. And so by the end of it, whenever we're talking about motivations for serving God, we've already turned it all around and we ended up having God serving us instead of us serving him, right? Mm -hmm. So we can have guilt, we can have greed. Uh, We saw that another thing is sometimes it's by the fear of man. We kind of push God out of the picture. We're not even serving God anymore. We're doing all the things that man expects out of us because what are they going to think of us if we don't do it? And so we've moved God out of the picture, and he is no longer God. We're no longer serving him. We are now enslaved to the opinions of men, as fickle as they are. The Bible says that the fear of man worketh a snare. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we start working in that way, whenever we say, okay, I'm going to go to church because everybody's going to, to be looking for me there. They're going to ask about me if I don't show up, right? I'm going to go out to this or I'm going to go and do that because it's expected of me by everyone around me. And we've cut God out of the picture. We're no longer serving him. We're serving man. And so that's a messed up motivation. And even with that motivation, uh, we're going to find times that obviously we're not going to be able to please men. Men are fickle. We're going to find ourselves frustrated. We're going to find ourselves in bondage and legalism and all kinds of things in trying to appease the brethren And we're going to find ourselves really stuck in a mess of religion like we see in the the, uh, New Testament in the time of Christ with the Pharisees and with the uh, religious establishment of the day. Because most of the religion at that day was done out of the fear of men. Okay? And we didn't touch on that as much last week. Uh, The next one that we looked at was fear. Not the fear of men, but the fear of God. And people go to the verse and say, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Well, it's the beginning of wisdom, but after we actually wise up and realize who God is and what he's done for us, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Okay, And even the idea that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, that is a, a reverence, a respect for God, not a terror, not fear as what we would normally think of it. And so whenever we become a child of God, we no longer have to fear God. He's not an abusive father. He's not... Uh, fickle and temperamental and just waiting to lash out at us. But instead, we have a loving and kind Heavenly Father. And so if we are serving Him out of fear, then we don't understand God. And where this really breaks down, if you're afraid of God saying, okay, if I don't serve God, if I don't do this, then God's going to be mad at me, then God's going to punish me. Uh, I always equate it to thinking of God like Zeus on Mount Olympus throwing lightning bolts at anyone who displeases Him. Yeah. Right? If we see God as being that way, we're going to see God as being uh, as being vindictive. We're going to see him as being cruel. We're going to see him as being harsh. And we're going to see him as someone we don't want to get near, that we are afraid to get near. And it is going to be a barrier, a hindrance to us ever getting to know him and us ever truly having a relationship with him and ever actually loving him. Because you can't love someone that you're afraid of. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You can love someone that you respect. You should respect them, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't love someone that you're afraid of. And so we don't serve him out of fear. So those are the four bad motivators. But we said that what is supposed to truly motivate us is that we're supposed to serve him out of love. Right. Out of gratitude, we could say even. But out of love. Because to know him is to love him. He said, the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. We see that he, has, uh, that he has manifested his love toward us. He has shown us his love in such a tremendous way that if we understand what he has done for us, then the only natural result should be for us to love him as well. And so we're not serving him out of debt. But I said you can kind of compare it to to gratitude. Gratitude is, look at all he's done for me. I will happily serve him. Not, okay, well, i got to serve him because, well, look what he's done for me. Okay? 
And so we serve him out of love, out of a pure, out of a thankful heart. And we say, you know, I didn't deserve it. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, right? And so he died for us. He loves us. He freely forgave us. He has went to prepare a place for us. He has sent his comforter. He has promised peace. He has promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. He is constantly abiding, always with us. And we say, man, what a God we serve. Right. I get to be his sheep. I get to be his child. I get to be taken care of by the good shepherd, right? Mm -hmm. And who would not want to be near him? Who wouldn't want to be close to him? One of the things that I pointed out last week was that with the 12 disciples, well, 11 of them, whenever Jesus was on this earth, what was their, uh, what was their attitude, their actions toward him? Were they fearful, occasionally greedy? <laughs> Grant that I may sit on your right hand and he on your left, right? But what we see is they wanted to be near him. They wanted to be close to him. John was even laying on his bosom at the, the dinner table at the Last Supper, right? Mm -hmm. Peter, though he didn't follow through with it, he says, I am willing to follow you all the way up to death. And Jesus says, I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me. Yeah. And so we see that the, those who knew him best loved him best, right? right. And so we need to get the right motivation behind why we serve him. And so where we're going tonight is kind of coming off of this idea of what motivates us, because one of my fears as a pastor, and as I'm teaching these things and kind of uh, untwisting some of these messed up ideas that we have about God and theology and church and serving him, is the fact that we have a tendency to extremes. I often equate the uh, the idea of uh, the road with two ditches. You got a road, there's a ditch on either side. You don't want to end up in either ditch, do you? Mm -hmm. But being human beings, we are prone to extremes. And so my fear as a pastor is that whenever I unload one motivation off of you, one burden off of you, that rather than you picking up the right one, you go to the opposite extreme and say, well, if I don't have to serve out of fear then I'm just going to sit back and coast. I don't have to serve at all. If I don't have to serve out of duty, then, well, why would I do anything? If I don't have to, if I'm not commanded, if God's not going to make me or be mad at me or strike me down, if I'm not doing it in order to earn something, then why do anything? Paul says in Romans chapter number six uh, that we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace, Right? And so he raises up the, the question, he foresees it coming because he knows the way that man is. And he says, if I say that we're not under the law, but we're under grace, then no doubt someone's going to jump up and say, okay, if I'm not under the law anymore, let's just pitch that entire thing and I'll live however I want to. And so he says, shall we continue in sin because we're no longer under the law, but under the grace? And he says, God forbid, Right. And so this is the idea that a lot of people get, and they overcorrect. Yes. Okay? Yes. They overreact. They go too far in the opposite. And in the study that we had last week at looking at these different motivations, it's not that love is on one side and everything else is on the other side. Right. And you got to find somewhere somewhere in between. No, that's not the case. But what you have is you have motivation on one side and unmotivated on the other. Motivation and complacency, right? And you need to have the right motivation. And that right motivation, like I said, is love. And love brings in balance. Yes. And so that's what I want to look at tonight is having balance in our Christian life. Being balanced, because as I said, just being human beings, just being flesh, we are prone to extremes. We are prone to imbalance, to be unstable, okay? And so our verse that we want to go to tonight, as I said, Philippians chapter number four. I'm going to go ahead and read more verses than I have written down here, but I'll go ahead and start at Philippians four, verse number one. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, 
and my crown, or my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I love the way that Paul's writing that. Just the love, the compassion, the concern that he, he says, I, I care about these people, and because I care about them, I want to see to it that they're on the right track, right? And so he says, I want you to stand fast. Stand fast. That's talking about stability. That's talking about being rooted. That's talking about being well-grounded, right? Okay. So verse number two, I beseech Judas and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So these two women were having a little bit of a, a fuss, a little bit of a tiff between each other. How do you like to be pointed out in Paul's letter because you were bickering with another woman in the church? And so he, he names you in the letter and we read it 2,000 years later. <laughs> but anyway, I beseech uh, these two women that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so in this passage, we find that there was a little bit of a uh, a trouble that was going on there, a little bit of a maybe a competition or disagreement. He was encouraging uh, these women to get past it, some of the other people to help them out. But he says, I want you to be balanced. I want you to be uh, standing fast. And the verse that I want us to, to really look at tonight is verse number five. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. That word moderation is telling us uh, to be moderate, to be balanced, right? If you have uh, a business meeting, something like that, oftentimes you're going to have a moderator that presides over it. What is the job of the moderator? This is to give an overview of what's going to be okay. talking about moderator. Yeah. Or maybe pass message before the actual person comes in. Okay. Okay. So he's just basically there somewhat as a referee, right? He's going to be bringing things out, as Peter said. He's going to be helping things to go along smoothly, right? Going to be the one that's keeping things on track. And he's going to be the one that is also uh, seeing to it that everyone continues to be... Uh, and maybe not necessarily unified. But as Mary said, I think Mary put it, put it really well, that things don't get out of hand. And if you've ever seen a meeting like that where things got out of hand, the moderator had his hands full, right? Yeah. <laughs> but that's the idea of the moderation, right? Let your moderation be known to all men. Uh, the idea of moderation is to have it under control, to not go to extremes, to not lose control of things, right? And there's many different words that we have that come from the same root. But anyway, it means that we aren't, given to excess. We're not given to extremes. Mm -hmm. And so as as Paul is encouraging these Philippians that he loves so much that are having a little bit of a quarrel and a little bit of a struggle, he's telling them, don't get bent out of shape. Don't lose sight of what is important, but make sure that your moderation, your self-control, your uh, balance is clearly seen to all those who are around you. So that's letting us know that we as Christians should not be given to extremes or to excesses, right? And he says at the end of that, let your moderation be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Well, what does that mean the Lord is at hand? The Lord is near. He is close by, right? And so why can we have moderation? Why can we have balance? Because we have the God of all creation always nearby that doesn't leave, doesn't forsake us, that is able to establish us, 
that's able to make a stand, that is able to hold all things together, even when the world seems to be falling apart. Because when is it that we are the most prone to get bent out of shape or to go to extremes? When is it that we're most likely to do that? Okay. Well, what makes us lose control? We're desperate to emphasize our point of view. Okay. So pride, right? Pride will cause it. What's other things? Anger, definitely. Sense of misunderstanding that you know you don't understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You get more excited as more yeah. people don't understand. Yeah. The more anxious you are to make them understand. Yeah, sometimes I don't know why this is. It goes the same thing whenever whenever you have a language barrier. Whenever someone doesn't understand you, that for some reason the natural thing is you get louder. Yeah. As if getting louder is going to make it clearer, right? <laughs> so you've got someone that doesn't speak your language and they're like, no, speak English. And so you say it louder and it's like, <laughs> I, it doesn't matter the decibel level. I still don't understand it. Okay, so yeah. So we have these different things, but all these things that we're talking about are tied to our emotions. Yes. Right? And so they're tied to our emotions. And so whenever something gets to our emotions, we a lot of times uh, relinquish reason. And what is our emotions, biblically, what, what is our emotions tied to? Image, self-image. Our heart. Right? Your heart is what is uh, identified with your emotions in Scripture, right? And so we have the idea, and pardon me for saying this ahead of time because I know I'll always beat this drum, okay? <laughs> but we are not supposed to follow our hearts. The Bible says to keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Right. Okay? And so we are to keep it as a guard. We are to stand guard by our hearts. And be careful because it is easily led astray. The Bible says that it is desperately wicked. Who can know it, right? And so whenever we let our heart be our guide, we are prone to extremes. We are prone to excesses and our emotions get the best of us and we become unbalanced and unhinged very quickly, right? And so whenever it tells us here to let our moderation be known to all men, we know that if we are walking with God, if we are led by the Spirit, if we're controlled by Him, then we can keep that balance, we can keep that control through God, through His Spirit, right? Yeah. And it's going to manifest ourself, or manifest itself in us. If you look, I'll go ahead and have you turn over here. I've got all kinds of references, but I don't necessarily have an order in which I'm going through them, okay? But if you'll look in Galatians chapter number 5, Down at verse number 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Manifest means made known or clearly seen. Okay? So when the flesh is controlled, this is how you see it. Okay? Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Now, as I read that passage, as I read all of those words off, would you say that those are unbalanced? Those are extremes. Those are many of them tied to emotion. Okay. Why do we commit adultery? Well, it's because we have been unbalanced in our relationships and in our thought life and our lusts, right? Why is it that there is envyings? We've gotten our eyes off the right thing and we've got it on the wrong thing. We've become unbalanced. Reveling, stripes, all these things. We've let the wrong things be in charge and the wrong things be leading us. 
And so it leads us to these things that are excessive. Everything the flesh does is in excess, is unbalanced, is unhinged. And so any time that you allow the flesh to be in the driver's seat, it is going to take you down a wrong road. Okay? Now, if we continue in this passage, it says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Completely different list, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And would you describe those words as being balanced? Moderate? Controlled? They would be, wouldn't they? Meekness, that's, that is <laughs> under control, right? Temperance. Well, what does temperance mean? Well, I can go to the opposite. What what happens when you lose your temper? <laughs> you have lost your self-control, right? Temperance is another word for your self-control. And so these words identify here what whenever we are following the Spirit, we are temperate, meek. We are controlled, right? We let the flesh be in charge. We go to excess. We go to extremes. So to get back on track where we were there a moment ago, I said that last week it was important for us looking at the motivations that we don't go to the extreme from wrong motivation to no motivation, but from wrong motivation to right motivation. Okay? And so we need to make sure to keep ourselves in check with this and look and see, okay, why am I following the Lord? You say, well, it's not out of this, it's not out of this, it's not, am I following him because of love? And then I have to step back and say, am I following him? Right? Because it is easy for us to fall into complacency. It's easy for us to go through the motions, especially whenever love is our motivator, because guess what? Fear is an incredibly powerful motivator, right? Fear is an incredibly powerful motivator. There are many churches, many pastors, uh, many cults. I'm not saying that they're one of the same. Some of them are. But anyway, that rely on fear to get you to obey, get you to toe the line, get you to serve the Lord as they say. Mm -hmm. Okay? It is easy to use that as a motivator, but it is a bad motivator. But it is hard for a church, for a pastor, for anyone to motivate you out of love. I can preach on Jesus. I can tell you all day long what he has done for you and how he has worked in your life and how he desires you and what he has planned for you and how good his word is, how good and acceptable and perfect his will is. But at the end of the day, if you say, well, I'm going to heaven, I'm saved, doesn't really matter. I'm just going to kind of coast from here on out. Love is not going to be something I can use to manipulate you with. It's not something that I can pressure or force you with. And it is a choice that you have to make. And this is something that I've emphasized over and over again, that love is a choice. This is something that we looked at in our last study whenever I looked at the Garden of Eden. And I said, God put the tree in the middle of the garden so that mankind had a choice because he wanted mankind to obey him and to love him because he wanted to, not because he had to. Because... If there is no other option, it's not love. Mm -hmm. If he forces you to do it, it's not love. I've said this many times. I know it's a little bit uh, coarse, but the thing is, forced love isn't love. It's rape. Right? And God is not that kind of a God. He loves us. He gives us a choice. And if we reject him, if we refuse either his salvation or still his service, then he is not going to force us to. Right. We are going to uh, we are going to abandon the blessings and benefits of being his child or being in his will, but he's not going to force us to do that. Right. And so whenever I look at this, I said that my fear was that whenever I say, okay, you don't if you're a child of God, you don't have to be afraid, you don't have to be indebted, and these things. 
is for you to not move forward and to be in balance, to be where you belong with following him, serving him out of love because you desire to be with him. You desire to experience that good and perfect will of God. You desire to be to experience what it's like to be in the father's house. Remember the story of the prodigal. He says, yeah, I can go away. I can waste my substance on riotous living. I can end up eating the husk with the pigs, but it's a lot better for me to be under the love and under the the roof here of the Father's house, right? And so that's why love motivates us, and it balances things out, okay? And so I said that we are prone to... Uh, overreacting or overcorrecting. And that's one example, right? But there's many different examples of how we lose balance, how we overcorrect in different situations. Everyone comes up through different circumstances. Everybody has different experiences. And there's plenty of people who have come out of an unhealthy situation out of one ditch just to bounce over to the other ditch. Mm -hmm. People who have been raised up in abusive homes and said, my parents treated me this way. I'm never doing this to my kids. And they go in the opposite ditch. Mm -hmm. My parents beat me. I'm never going to discipline my child. And they end up with a complete heathen. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. They Maybe they're in a, a legalistic church or something like that. And they say, okay, I'm going to get out of this. And then the next thing you know, they've got a blog online telling about how they're now they're an atheist. Yeah. And they're jumping to the opposite. Yeah. And they are overcorrecting. And for us as Christians, we need to be moderate. One thing that's going to cause us to do this, and I may be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we need to be rooted and grounded in the truth, and we need to be thoroughly convinced in the things that we believe and the things that we do. Yes. Because a lot of times whenever people are jumping too far one way or the other, it is reactionary. It's not done out of knowledge. It's not done out of searching out and studying and finding it out. But instead, they are like a ping pong ball that they get bounced off this side and they go to the other side. Mm -hmm. They go from this ditch, they go to that ditch. And so there is still imbalance and you go from sometimes bad to worse with these different things that you see. And so people end up being unbalanced and they leave one bad situation for another bad situation. They overcorrect on this and go to this, okay? Uh, not only is there the idea of overreacting, there's also the idea of uh, overemphasizing. Overemphasizing. You ever see someone who got obsessed, unhealthily obsessed about something? I said that people are prone to extremes, right? This is something I'll give you a... a an example, uh, maybe a bit of a silly example, but one uh, maybe we're not, we can't relate to quite as much. But being an American in the last election, <laughs> you all follow the elections and stuff over in the States a little bit, right? And you find that it was extremely polarizing, right? And so you find that people allowed that to consume their lives. I will tell you that if you have nothing to live for but politics, you have a sad life. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But the idea behind that is they became obsessed with it. They overemphasized it. And what happens here, whenever we are unbalanced, we focus on one thing at the expense of everything else. Yeah. And it doesn't even mean that we're focusing on a bad thing, but we're getting focused on one thing and we miss out on everything else. It even happens with churches. It happens with preachers. There'll be a preacher that gets caught up on one doctrine. And he misses the entire rest of the Bible, misses out on everything else because he can't get past one doctrine. I know I've, I've heard messages and saw different guys that uh, they, they did what I call hobby horse preaching. You ever heard of that? You've heard me say it probably. Soapbox. Soapbox. Okay. But a hobby horse. Do you all know what a hobby horse is? Stick pony. You know, you got the little horse head and the little, the little stick, and you, kids ride them around. Okay? A hobby horse. And so it gives you something to do, but you don't get anywhere. That's the idea behind a hobby horse. But the idea is this: these people will get so bent, so fascinated, so uh, enthralled with one thing, 
and they make everything about that one thing and they become unbalanced. Yeah. It can become politics. It can become, uh, like I said, a particular doctrine that they are enthralled with. The Bible tells us here that it's all profitable, right? right. We are to be balanced even in our approach to Scripture. We are to uh, preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, right? right? And so we need to make sure that even as we're approaching the Word of God, that we are approaching it as all of it being the Word of God and not picking and choosing and figuring out, okay, well, I'm going to focus on this and not on that. And now this isn't just even a spiritual thing because we can become unbalanced in many areas of our lives. Uh, There's different things that we can become so focused on or that we can weight more heavily than everything else in our lives, and it's going to cause us issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sleep is a good thing, but there's also other things that you need to do besides sleeping, right? Right. (laughs) Work is a good thing, but if you work all the time and you neglect your family, you neglect your spiritual health, you neglect other things in your life, then you're unbalanced, right? Right. Even good things. The Bible tells us that if any man doesn't work, neither should he eat. We should be working. But it also tells us the importance of our family. It also it tells us the importance of our walk with God. And it even tells us about the importance of being a good steward of the things that God has given us, including our body. So if we are blowing out our body and working and, and destroying our body at work, we are unbalanced. And so whenever we look at this idea of balance, it's not necessarily so much that of a, you know, you like a a balanced weight. You see that where you put the weight on either side of it? Not like a seesaw. We've seen it, right? But more more than anything, I think, whenever we look at balance in the Christian life, that it is more like a recipe. Yeah, definitely. Okay? Because in order to have a good result from a recipe, you you have to use the right ingredients in the right proportions. Right? Yeah. I don't know how many of y'all ever cook in here. I know my bunch, I don't know, you you, do you, cook? I have, to now. you have to now? I know Peter does maybe a little bit of cooking. But whenever you're looking at a recipe and you get things out of proportion, or you leave something important out. We were watching a baking show a while back, and the lady left sugar out of her cookies. Okay? And here's the thing, the kind of cookies she's making, guess what kind of cookies they were? Any ideas? They were sugar cookies. Oh. <laughs> and she didn't put sugar in sugar cookies. What do you think her results were? Okay. Okay. So in our lives, we... Yeah, it'd be horrible, wouldn't it? So in our lives, we have to have the right balance. We have to have the right ingredients. We have to have them in the right proportion. The Bible tells us In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And this idea of being walking circumspectly, it means that you are aware that you are paying attention to what's going on around you. Okay? Circumspect is circle. You are aware of your surroundings. You're aware of what's going on. You are taking inventory. You are taking stock. You are looking at your life and you're... Uh, evaluating from time to time, and you're aware of what's going on, okay? Uh, I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again because it's a good one. I watched a video one time of this guy that was, or no, it was a girl. She was so engrossed in her phone walking through a shopping plaza that she didn't see the water fountain, like the pond in the middle of the water fountain. Mm -hmm. And she just walked straight into it just because she was looking at her phone. She wasn't walking circumspectly. She was walking as a fool, right? And she made a fool out of herself. And I saw that video several years ago. I'm still talking about it. I don't know what's happened to her, but, you know. But in our lives, we need to be aware of what's going on. We need to be monitoring and seeing what's going on. This goes back to what I said earlier with um, for us to uh, keep our heart with all diligence for out of it is the issues of life. We're having to do a a checkup on our heart. We're having to examine ourselves. We're having to look and say, okay, what has me consumed? What is it 
that is consuming my time? What is it that's consuming my thoughts? Am I balanced in the way that I'm living? Am I giving the time to the things that I should be giving the time to, or are there things that are stealing my time? Is there things that are taking away my attention from things that should be having my attention? Is there things that I'm giving way too much headspace to? Right? Because even as we look at this here, we find the principle in Scripture repeatedly telling us that if we are walking with God, if we are uh, trusting God, if our faith is in Him, then we shouldn't have to worry. The Bible says, Be anxious for nothing, but all things by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known unto the Lord. Right? And this idea of being anxious for nothing, that's the idea of not being overwhelmed with concern about things. Burdened down, worried about things. Why? Because we have Christ and he has given us an invitation to take all of those burdens and lay upon him, casting all of our cares on him because he cares for us. But whenever these things are loading us down, it's taking our attention off of the things that we should be doing. We're taking our attention off the God we should be serving, taking our attention and putting it on things that are less important. We have become unbalanced. And the reason why it's so important for us as Christians to be balanced in our lives is because that if we become unbalanced, we're going to harm ourselves. We're going to harm other people, and we're going to harm the testimony of Christ. Yeah. We represent him. Okay, so I've got questions. What does it look like, after all this talk so far, what does it look like for someone to be out of balance? Can you think of any examples, anyone that you have seen? Don't use names. Well, if you're in a discussion with somebody and he holds a view that he simply can't see around, Mm -hmm. that becomes his sole focus and he's fixated on it. Mm -hmm. And and you're trying to sort of weave from him Mm -hmm. that there are other possibilities. Mm -hmm. But he won't hear it. Mm-hmm. Because he's unbalanced, he, he he's got his feet mm-hmm. stuck in this groove. Okay. And he can't move out of it. So someone who's stubborn. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I'll tell you one thing that comes to my mind, and this is just personal to me. Okay. Is when I'm really unbalanced and things are going on around me, I get frazzled. Mm-hmm. And my mind is just a hundred mile a minute everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't even have to be a bad thing going on in my mind or things going on. It's just. But it becomes the only thing. Yeah. And it's a nervous energy. Anxiety. Yeah. Nervous energy has anxiety. Right? Yeah. Very much so. You become. Because, well, I think one of the reasons we become, we become depressed, okay? And this isn't a condemnation. This is something that I know personally, okay? But one of the reasons we become uh, depressed when we're unbalanced is because we have taken our focus, our attention off of the Lord. A lot of times we've put it on our circumstances or we've put it on ourselves. And the depression comes from helplessness. Yes. And so we feel helpless. Yes. And And anxious. What is it? And also anxious. Anxious. Helpless. And so we are looking to ourselves for the solution. We're trying to figure out a way out rather than allowing that to push us toward Christ, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's one of the reasons. And now I'm not saying that there can't be chemical imbalances. There can't be uh, physical and uh, uh, chemical reasons why there is depression and things like that. And this is even through the whole thing of COVID, I said probably one of the biggest things is going to be depression just because of the circumstances and all the negativity and everything. People are going to struggle with depression because of those circumstances surrounding us. And so anyway, yeah, depression is going to be a result of being unbalanced. Okay. Now, 
a lot of times even some of the things that we see as positive are a result of people being unbalanced. Y'all believe that? There, so there's a lot of a lot of things that we even see as positive that maybe even society or uh, Christian culture worships that is a result of imbalance. Okay, uh, one example that I give quite often, and I can I can name names whenever they're they're famous and dead. Okay, <laughs> but someone that's often idolized amongst Christianity is Billy Sunday. Has everybody heard that name? Okay, he was a famous preacher. A couple people said no. He was a famous preacher that filled stadiums yeah. to come out and hear him preach, and he was a hellfire brimstone preacher. And whenever he came to town, the the bars shut down and things changed, and people got saved. And you know, praise the Lord for all the things that happened there. He started out as a preacher. He got saved as a professional baseball player left a career as a professional baseball player to become a preacher. But he also had a family. And his family saw a lot less of him than the press did. And his children grew up to hate God and despise God because God took away their daddy. And he was never around. He was too married to the ministry. It became important, more important. And he was imbalanced. And he sacrificed his family on the altar of ministry. And so that has been one of the cautionary tales in my life all along, that if if I were to plant 100 churches and see thousands of people saved, and my own children were bitter and resentful toward God, then I have failed. Right? Right? And so that is one of those things that can be imbalanced. Mm-hmm. So you can put even good things in the wrong proportion, yeah. have the wrong focus, and still be unbalanced. Right. I could even throw myself into good godly disciplines, reading my Bible and praying, witnessing, and spend all of my time doing that. But if I'm not working a job and taking care of my family and paying my bills, I'm unbalanced, right? What if I am putting out so much energy, so much zeal that it is unsustainable? I'm unbalanced. I blow out. And so there's this idea of worshiping much service. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, putting in the hours, working so hard, doing all of these things, and it's admirable and it's all these different things, but it's not sustainable. Right. And you blow out, you're unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Because what we find in scripture, rather than our results, rather than our performance, rather than all of these other things that we try to measure by, God measures by. Faithfulness. Even the words that I brought out already is steadfast. Right? And so what God wants us to do is to continue steadfastly, faithfully, at a sustainable pace in the things that we're doing. Right? And so we can become unbalanced whenever even good things become the only things or whenever we are doing things out of proportion, when we're doing things in unsustainable ways. And so there is much to be said about the person who is balanced and faithful, just plodding along because as the saying goes, life is a marathon, not a sprint. If you ever see someone in a race and they start off in a marathon, I've never ran a marathon, that's probably obvious. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever even watched one because they make me tired watching all these people run. But anyway, but if you think about it, the person who takes off like a shot right at first, running full bore, all their energy, they're not going to cross the finish line. Oftentimes it's the one that's in the back of the pack. The ones that are starting off slow that are setting a sustainable pace that are balanced and they're saying, 
I've got to balance my energy and my exertion and all of these different things if I'm going to continue at a sustainable and a healthy pace. And so this is what God desires for our life. And so it says for us uh, in the verse that I started out with, let our moderation be known unto all men. And so for us as Christians, even the lost men around us should see us and they should think of us as being balanced. And I find it problematic whenever the world, whenever the lost men look at Christians and laugh at them because they are unbalanced and unhinged. Whenever they are uh, fanatics, whenever they... Because here's the thing. Even if a Christian were to uh, maybe even idolize a little bit the idea of soul winning and trying to be a witness and things to where that was the be-all and end-all of the Christian life. Yes, we need to be a witness. We need to be seeking the salvation of men. But what happens if you can't have a conversation, you can't have a relationship, if the only thing that you were ever to do all day, every day, was every person you come in contact with, is you gave them, you presented to them the plan of salvation. Anyone around you is going to say they care nothing about me. They just want to add another notch to their belt. They just want to uh, pull someone else into their religion. They don't actually care about me. If we look at Jesus and his life, Jesus is the ultimate picture of balance. And as he went about, he went about doing good. He sat and talked and ate and fellowshiped, built, built relationships, had conversations, and still led people to himself. Even the passage that's often brought out, uh, he that winneth souls is wise. We've all heard that, right? Mm -hmm. If you ever look at that in context, that's Old Testament. Okay? It's not talking about going out and sharing the gospel. The context of you can apply to that. It is wise for us to win souls. But the context of that is for a man to be a likable and a friendly person that is winning people to himself. Because before you can win anybody to Christ, you have to win them to yourself. Because right. they're not going to care what you believe, what you think, anything you have to say, unless they care, they realize that you care about them. Right? Yeah. And so that's important. We can be unbalanced in these things, yeah. even with seemingly good things. And so we need to find balance in our lives and not be prone to extreme. We need to have the right focus, the right intensity. We need to be temperate. We need to be self-controlled. We don't want to overreact. We don't want to overemphasize. But we also don't want to go into complacency either. Another example we can find in Scripture is in uh, Revelation. I think it's chapter 3 or chapter 4. Whenever the Lord is talking to the church at Laodicea. Yeah. Are we familiar with that passage? Yeah. Yeah. He says, I, I would that you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. And oftentimes we read that verse and it's kind of weird because we see hot and cold as opposites, right? Yeah. And lukewarm would be in the middle. Wouldn't that be the balance of the two? Lukewarm. And so what I'm saying is not for us to be complacent. It's not for us to compromise. But whenever we look at that passage, if we understand the context behind it, Near Laodicea, there were two different springs, one hot, one cold. Whenever the, they were plumbed in, whenever they came in through the aqueducts, by the time they got to the town, it was just far enough that the hot water was cooled off and the cool water was warm up, warmed up and they were both basically room temperature. They were lukewarm and they were good for nothing. And so the focus here isn't the extremes. It's not God wants you to either be hot or he wants you to be cold. He either wants you to be on fire for him or reject him completely. That's not what it's saying because how dumb would that be for it to say God wants you to be cold? He doesn't want anyone to be cold. Not in that respect. But he wants you to be zealous. He wants you to be motivated. He wants you to have purpose. Right? And there's a purpose for hot water. There's a purpose for cold water. We all like coffee, right? Mine's probably, let's see, almost lukewarm. Okay? 
But people like hot coffee. People like iced coffee. But does anyone like tepid coffee? Lukewarm coffee? No. No. Okay. We could do the same thing with cold. Okay. My girls all like ice cream. But sometimes they get it out of the freezer and it is too cold. It is frozen like a brick. And they, our spoons look like <laughs> from them trying to dig the ice cream out of the cartons. Okay? Because it was too hard, they'll have to set it out for a while until it is balanced, right? Yeah. Because if you let it get too warm, you've got sweet milk, right? <laughs> so you don't want it to be lukewarm. And you also don't want it to be iceberg. You don't want it to be scalding hot. There was a woman that sued McDonald's several years ago because her coffee was too hot, right? You don't want it to be so hot it's going to scorch you, but you don't want it to be... So the idea behind this is the usefulness. It's the zeal. It's the the uh, having the right desires with these things because whenever you get to the place where you're lukewarm, it says it was good for nothing. That is complacency. No motivation, no desire. And it talks specifically about the, the Laodicean church. It says that they were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing, including God. I believe that describes pretty much most Christians today. Because we're living in a state of excess comfort. We have everything that we need. And as a result, we take God for granted. We think we take his creation for granted. And we end up really in this lukewarm state. We're not really doing a whole lot of anything, right? We're unbalanced. And so whenever you look at this idea of being lukewarm, whenever you, you look at the idea of motivations that we we're talking about before, lukewarm is unmotivated. Lukewarm is out of balance. Okay? And so God desires us to be balanced in these things. And so we talked about uh, what it looks like to be unbalanced. We, we pointed out a couple of different examples there. Uh, we can look at a biblical example. Uh, King Saul, he was unbalanced. You look at him, he was like a ping pong ball. He was back and forth. He was all over the place. Yes. One day he's wanting to kill David. The next day he loves him and says he's his son, right? Mm -hmm. He's back and forth all over the place. Uh, Peter, early on, was very unbalanced. Yes. He was very unbalanced. He went from, Lord, I'll gladly die for you to, I never met the guy. Right? Cutting off Malchus's ear to cursing and raining by the fire. That's unbalanced. That's unhinged. Peter's a good example, though, because would you still consider Peter post-resurrection to be unbalanced? You start reading about his writings. You start reading. Actually, I've got several passages that I haven't read this evening. Most of them is out of First and Second Peter. Whenever we're talking about being balanced, about half of the scriptures that I have written down here are about Peter. What made the difference? Christ, obviously. I think one of the biggest things that made the difference was the chat that they had on the seashore. Peter had already messed up royally. He had blown it, denying Christ, right? He went back to fishing, took half the disciples with him. And then Jesus comes to him, and Peter thinks there's no way that he still has a place for me. There's no way that he still has a purpose. I've already went too far away. And as Jesus walking and talking with him, he says, Peter, do you love me? Remember that conversation? Yeah. And whenever he realized the love of Christ, whenever he realized it wasn't dependent on him, whenever he realized it was a result of who God was, of who Jesus was, I think something clicked. And he understood it. And it brought balance. Did he still do stupid stuff? Yes. Down at Antioch, I think it was, he dissembled with the others and was shunning the Gentiles because the Jews were there and he was trying to please men, right? Yeah. 
And Paul was stood him to his face because he was to be blamed. So there's a few times that he needed to be snapped back into it. But as he learned, as he gained knowledge, as he understood God and the things of God, it brought balance to his life. So we need to be wrapping up here. And so what I want to bring it down to now is with what brings balance, I think it's walking with God and the knowledge of His Word. Whenever we are spending time each day in God's Word, whenever we are seeking God and desiring to walk with Him in His will, when we are praying, when we are learning about Him, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Well, how are we finding rest? Well, we have to get back to balance. How do we do that? We are taking that yoke and learning. And I've talked about this recently, this idea of taking the yoke. Whenever they had a pair of animals, they would take the one that they are trying to train and yoke it up in a training yoke to an experienced animal so that it would learn from the experienced animal how it should walk how it should go, how to pull the plow, okay? And during that time in that training yoke, that experienced animal took most of the burden upon himself, okay? And so this is what Jesus is equating it to. He's saying, if you get in the yoke with me and learn from me, if you examine my life, if you look in my word, if you find out who I am, then you're going to find rest for your soul because you're going to find out that the way that I'm leading you, the way that I'm guiding you is not some way that you've got to figure out yourself. It's not burdensome. Uh, The Lord said, if you love me, keep my commandments and my commandments are not grievous, right? And so whenever we are taking that yoga points, when we are learning of him, whenever we are in his word, studying and figuring out who he is, when we're walking with Him and experiencing life with Him, He brings balance to our life. I think it can be summed up really, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Right? In that passage, He's talking about all the things that we get so enamored with, all the things that consume us, with trying to be fed and clothed and housed and searching after wealth and prominence and prosperity in this world. And he says, if you will just seek me, or he says, seek my kingdom. Well, what's his kingdom? That is his rule, his reign over men. Allowing him to be God, allowing him to be in charge. And it goes back to the Lord's prayer, thy will be done, right? And so he says, you seek me first Seek my kingdom, seek my way, and then I'm going to take care of the rest. Right? And it brings balance to our lives. My my very last warning in this, I've got so many other passages I should have brought out and didn't. Ephesians 5:18, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's talking about the unbalanced man being like a drunkard, being in excess, losing control. Instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. Allow Him to balance us out, right? I've got Colossians chapter 3, 18 through 21 written down as an example of balance. That's where it talks about uh, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. We like to focus on that one, don't we, guys? But God has a way of balancing things because the next verse says, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Then it says, Children, obey your parents. And then the next one says, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You see how there's so much balance in the Word of God? This book is extremely balanced. And so whenever he starts talking to one group, they can pick that up and say, Yeah. Wait a second, now yours is coming next. It's balanced. And so whenever we get in his word, whenever we start learning about him, experiencing him, walking with him, he brings balance to our lives. He brings stability 
to our lives. It tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, that he is able to make us perfect, to establish us, to strengthen us, to settle us. Okay? And so he's able to do that in our lives. And we don't have to be unhinged. We don't have to be that wacko that's raving on the television, holding up the signs and all these different things that's going on while the world's looking on and saying, what a nut. They're going to think that we're weird enough just by standing on godly principles. But they're going to know that we're balanced when we do. They're going to say, that guy is dependable. He's trustworthy. He's honest. If he tells you he's going to be there, he's going to be there. The way that he lives is with integrity, with honesty. He is consistent with the things that he says that he believes. He's not going off on tangents and ranting and raving and acting like a lunatic. But instead, the things that he believes holds him together, keeps him stable, even whenever the world is in a mess, even when tragedy hits. And that's where it's talking about what we look at at first, let our moderation be known to all men. That self-control, that balance even in a world that is crazy. We're not to be crazy too. So with that all being said, does anyone have any questions or any comments on what we looked at? One statement I have wrote down here I didn't, didn't read off is just the fact Satan wants you unbalanced. Satan wants you unbalanced. You ever see someone who was drunk, how hard it is for them to take a stand? Easy target, right? Whenever you're unbalanced, you're easy to knock down. Satan wants you unbalanced. The best way to get balanced, get in God's word, pull up close to him, understand who he is, what he's done, and trust him to be there with you and for you. And everything else will be a lot less severe, a lot less excessive. We won't have to react and overreact, but we can rest in him. I'll say once again, anyone got anything? Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll call it night. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings, and we thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for your word and the way that it grounds us, the way that it stabilizes us and roots us down. We thank you for your presence and for your spirit. And Lord, we just ask you, help us, Lord, to take inventory. Help us, Lord, to pay attention whenever there's things that would uh, would tempt us to uh, become unstable and unbalanced whenever there's things that grab a hold of our attention and try to pull us off track. Help us, Lord, to see these things. And Lord, help us, Lord, to come right back to you and be balanced out right there under your yoke, Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.